I'm Randy Nichols, and I'm in pursuit of the right angle. You know, the media and political correctness culture today has a certain power in that they're able to spin a narrative about who is a good guy, who is not, based on their own worldview. It seems like they're regularly asking three questions of everyone, and then based on the answers given, they sort of determine whether you are more of an oppressor or a victim. Um, the three questions are as follows. What is your race? What is your gender? And what is your sexual orientation? And your answers regarding this dem demographic type questions uh, then determine in their eyes whether you should, for instance, get the job, win the court case, or even whether you should get justice or not. Now, those demographics are certainly very important parts of everyone, but there is so much more to a person than these factors. You could totally fail to test these questions in the eyes of the world, like if you're a white, male, heterosexual, and still be a very noble person. Or you might completely pass with flying colors, in their opinion, as a, you know, a female, minority, lesbian and still be quite obnoxious and dishonorable otherwise. Obviously, this viewpoint actually could foster even more injustice in society. I would suggest that's why every incident of potential injustice should be viewed as an individual event and not as an opportunity to make right larger wrongs in society. Let's talk about that today. You know, all the recent police brutality incidents um, that were recently highlighted by the media actually present a good example of political correctness and the way a position is forced on the population and how it's considered completely unacceptable to disagree. After this latest outrage, some were quoting MLK when he said, uh, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. That's that quote. They seem to be aiming this sentiment at anyone that wasn't considered to be joining the fight as far as they were concerned. Of course, the reason many people are silent in a situation like that immediately after an event is because we realize what the media is trying to do. Let me explain. The interesting aspect of this is that there were really two separate issues at play, from what I can tell. The first was the individual incident of the horrific murder of George Floyd by a police officer on video, and in a manner that was obviously not only unnecessary, but particularly heinous in its method, and in the officer's obvious, complete disregard for a human life that's in his custody. Strangely, even though there's literally almost 100% agreement on this, the crowd that sets the emotional agenda, mostly through the media, has decided that you must be full-on convinced of the political narrative they attach to this, or else you just don't really care. Now, no, no sane person watching that film could not be outraged, much less be unmoved, especially for a shallow reason like ethnicity. 
Apparently, though, the crowd which decided this immediately took anyone's hesitation to make it political as a sign that they just didn't care about his death because he was a minority. The Bible says to weep with those who weep. Anytime any person is mourning over pain in their life, we should, of course, be sympathetic, especially in a case where someone is a victim of great injustice. We should be an advocate for them and for that person's loved ones. But when it starts with this sentiment and then eventually morphs into something else that is revolutionary, even violent, that's when it's time to stop and at least look at the facts. When it begins to look like a political movement and elements of it are obviously opportunistic, maybe it's time to pause and say, what exactly is occurring here and who's behind this? Of course, that brings us to the second issue at play, which is the high rate of police brutality directed at minorities. Or maybe we should say the belief that this is the case by apparently most of the nation. Just a casual consideration of the statistics, though, will tell you that it, it is at least not clear that it is, this is a pattern. Despite that, it is so constantly portrayed as a reality by the left-wing media that it's just accepted now as fact. In actual fact, it appears that the only pattern this event fits is the pattern of stories of injustice that happen to fit the media's narrative, which, as I pointed out previously, is the ra that races just can't get along. As was pointed out by another podcaster recently, if Floyd had been white we would not only probably not know his name, we would likely not even know this incident happened. The present, just the presence of scores of obviously opportunistic thugs stealing and damaging property in the black community, as well as domestic terrorists who suddenly equipped with, efficiently, with efficient products to destroy businesses like Molotov cocktails, other incendiary devices. That tells you not only is this not a peaceful protest overall, it has a much different motive for most of the people than stopping unjust treatment by cops. It seems to me true discernment includes the pursuit of understanding the difference between what is actually happening in a society and what is just the propaganda of the day. That means looking at all sides of an issue, hearing them out as best you can, and soberly considering the facts and logic while not being manipulated by sensationalism. What I mean by propaganda is that we, we all have this box in our living room filled with people telling us what to think. The news these days is basically just talking points of each political side. But we also have you know, sitcoms, dramas, TV movies constantly feeding us ideas that we can either just swallow and not think about or really stop to consider as a critical thinker. What are they trying to say to me? 
And there are, there are many ongoing narratives being propagated by the media. We need to at least be aware of that and what they are trying to convince us of. One of these narratives is about identity politics. Identity politics divides us all based on demographics and, ironically, decides on its own what the issues should be for each group rather than letting individuals in the group have their own separate viewpoints. In fact, if you're a member of one of these identity groups, you are instructed to just fall in line on the accepted talking points and the arguments that are considered to be in defense of the group. If you take another view, you are considered to be obviously just self-loathing or a traitor to those of your true identity. Do I even need to spell out how this is contrary to individual freedom. And in fact, all the basic ideas of individuality. The idea of a collective that supposedly has your best interests at heart, but then claims to know your heart better than you, well, that, that's the absolute antithesis of freedom. There's no real freedom of choice here. There's the list of acceptable opinions and those opinions considered to not be allowed. How is that any different from any one of the authoritarian regimes we know of, like Soviet Russia in the past, or the Third Reich, which engaged in actual, real, tangible oppression of the masses? The fact is, any ideology that puts everyone in a box based on a caricature of their demographics, if taken to its logical conclusion, it's the epitome of totalitarian rule. That's precisely the type of government system that ends up burning books and censoring anything that it doesn't consider as appropriate. Is this the kind of society we want? What is the Christian response to this? After years of viewing this trend, I have concluded the opposite of political correctness is not necessarily political incorrectness. The opposite of political correctness is common sense. What is political correctness exactly? Let's backtrack. Well, it used to be little silly ideas we would hear about on talk shows. You know, occasionally bizarre social guidelines were decided upon by these people that just seemed really strange to the average American, but usually they would just make us laugh or roll our eyes. A lot of them have to do with language, like euphemisms designed not to offend the sensitive, less fortunate in society. Um, many of them what seem to be unnecessary terms like vertically challenged instead of short or vision impaired instead of blind. Then there's the so-called microaggressions, which are whenever a behavior or word choice that is pretty standard or maybe based on generalizations, whenever that offends those considered to be in a minority position in our society because it points out some facts about their position in society. I say con considered because women, for instance, outnumber men, but they are still considered a minority. The idea being we want to be sensitive to people with unique struggles. That, of course, starts in a good place, but when we see it taken to such an extreme sometimes, many examples of political correctness for the most part, don't have serious ramifications. They're just silly.
Like I saw recently a picture of a bakery window with a sign that read, Genderless Gingerbread Figurines. That is, the owner, I guess, thought it would be considered sexist to sell gingerbread man cookies. Some are, some are ideas, though, that just incentivize failure or encourage apathy or not striving towards excellence. Like the concept of the participation trophy. So as to not hurt the self-esteem of those who don't excel in, in a competition. But there are some times that they do have serious results. And they are increasingly moving in this direction. Recent occasions of the transgender reading to children in a library could certainly have lasting effects on a child's view of gender and sexuality. Which is no doubt the intention by the PC crowd. In fact, they are now even openly encouraging children that feel like a different gender to express that in their dress and mannerisms. Think about the long-term damage that's doing. Um, it broadens further to include policies like trans transgenders being allowed to use the facilities of whatever gender they identify with, despite their biological sex. This, of course, is very sensitive to that individual who struggles in that area. But it puts everyone else in, at best, an awkward position, and at worst, in actual danger of being violated. The more these ideas affect government policy, the more they are likely to have a significant, even devastating, unintended consequence. Like climate change policies based on questionable scientific research may limit our capacity to prosper as a society in an effort to symbolically attempt to save the planet. Some say these changes could be overwhelmingly, overwhelming to the, comp to the economy and actually cause the level of poverty to increase. But we still have to get in line, they say, and the debate is over, or else we don't care. It's like I said one time, political correctness is cute, and silly and funny until it kills people, then it's not funny anymore. And you might say, come on, when what PC decisions actually cost lives? Well, poverty kills people over time, of course. Let me give you another example. In the 80s, the World Health Organization began spraying areas in Africa with DDT in order to kill mosquitoes, the insect repellent in order to kill mosquitoes, which were at that time spreading malaria and killing thousands. The spray was very effective, and the difference was obvious. Soon, however, environmental activist groups were suggesting, since it's a chemical and it's not biodegradable, it remains in nature. It's probably hurting the environment as well as humans. Now, what would you decide to do at this point if faced with that dilemma? It's making a huge difference, but it might might remain in nature, might long-term hurt the environment as well as humans. I actually asked my teenage son this, and he responded that he would continue its use and just watch to see how it affects the environment over time before making any rash decisions. Of course, but that would mean using common sense, right? What did they actually do? Of course they made an emotional decision and stopped using it immediately. 
to as an, in an emotional decision to save the planet, then then thirty years later, after more advanced research, they suddenly and casually determined, oh, hey, yeah, it looks like it'll be fine. It's not clear how many millions of Africans died in the meantime because of this policy decision. But you get my point. A mature leader or administrator who wants to make wise decisions that have long-standing positive effects doesn't make a symbolic emotional decision to make people feel a certain way or to signal virtue in a certain area. A strong leader will soberly consider the facts and make a real decision that has a genuine, tangible effect and avoids irresponsibility and will wait on more information when necessary rather than press on with a rash emotional decision, especially one that's designed for appearances. You know, one of the great ironies of this recent crisis is the fact that this hysteria and unhinged violence and destruction of the riots in the face of not only justice, which is actually in the process of being served, but is also agreed upon 100% by the masses, uh, is that this is precisely the same sentiment which ironically led to lynching 100 years ago. The idea that justice isn't happening fast enough, we have to take things in our own hands. Of course, another observation that seems crystal clear is that the media is at least somewhat complicit in all the damage done in these riots, as well as the death of fallen policemen. Not only do they constantly feed the false narrative of police brutality of minorities, but consider this. A responsible journalist could have foreseen this reaction when reporting this incident and should have said, he should have said something like, this injustice is unconscionable. The delay in arrest is outrageous, but just know this. We will not let up on this incident until complete justice is served. So please calm down. Don't cause any further pain to yourselves or your communities. If a journalist really had the best interest at heart of this nation, especially the less fortunate or those struggling with an issue like this, this seems obvious, wise and proactive, and would have been a very necessary source of calm. Instead, what did we see? A stirring up of outrage based on a false narrative and even a kind of opportunistic co-opting of an individual's tragedy for use as a political tool. It does George Floyd no honor to use his individual experience of injustice to further a political cause, especially to turn his funeral into a spectator event with a eulogy more fitting of a partisan presidential election rally. Look, maybe you don't buy what I'm suggesting about the media. Maybe you don't believe the statistics not showing a pattern of police, police brutality. One thing it seems to me you would have to agree with is that we need a dialogue to answer these problems. That means not shutting down debate. You can't suddenly say the debate is over and shut down the other side like, for instance, Antifa does. 
especially when you're not giving any facts or logic to support it. There can be no dialogue if one side is constantly stirring up emotion, apparently because they don't have the facts on their side. And this is the most damaging part of political correctness. It has its major tenets that you better agree with, and anyone who doesn't agree is just shut down. They use the media for this, and they are increasingly using violent thugs to enforce it. A Christian who has discernment knows that he is not just supposed to roll over and accept any facts he's given, especially if the motive seems suspect. To the extent that this kind of accepted injustice is occurring, true discernment is trying to confirm the difference between the narrative being espoused and the truth. And discernment wants to expose any facts that are being misrepresented and resist any oppression based on this. In fact, in, in ministry, we increasingly need to point out to those in the church the narratives that are being spread through the media to what extent they are correct, to what extent they are apparently just talking points intended for less than honorable means. They clearly have a motive for doing this, and it's not just to inform us. So we need to have discernment and make sure we are not being misled in a direction that causes more destruction to our society. I'm Randy Nichols, and I'm in pursuit of the right angle.